And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. I can see you right now in the kitchen, bending over a hot stove, but I can't see the stove. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry? I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. What do you do, Carl? Carl is a inventor slash entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm still looking for that home run, you know? I mean, <laughs> when I saw the iPod first time, I was like, yeah, I gotta kick myself. That was so hard on him. What's your name? Carl, my name. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger, ready to move out. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, it's the premiere episode of a very rare radio detective series titled The Amazing Mr. Tut from 1948. Then we'll travel a 79 Wistful Vista for part one of Fibber McGee and Molly from 1939. With me to help present these classic radio shows is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hey, Carl. How are you? Good. What's happening in Hollywood? Well, Barbara Streisand, who is 74, which is shocking, um, announces that she is having a movie star duets album. Mm. And a 2016 tour, right? So that's a big. Am deal. I invited to sing on it with her? Or? Um, I could probably work that out for you. We're pretty close. I would like to do a duet with uh, with Barbara Streisand. Well, you are a movie star. Well, and I don't know about so that. Her new album is going to be called Encore Movie Partners Sing Broadway. Whoa! And it will pair Barbara with some of Hollywood's biggest stars mm-hmm. to sing Broadway classics. I, I know how much you love yeah. Broadway tunes. Oh, sure. Um, it hasn't been released exactly who these stars are so it's possible you're on the list and don't even realize it right so we can cross our fingers hope that she contacts you maybe we could work out some kind of a broadway duet um also she's got a 2016 tour she's going to hit nine cities starting in la in august and will include songs from each decade of her career, which is really remarkable, um, and of course numbers from her new album. Her yeah. last, she's tour, a living legend. That's exactly what I was yeah, about to really say. Is. She truly is a living legend, at screen and stage, and in the recording studio. Wow, fantastic! And I love when she does movies. When she, well, she'll do a movie here or there. I just, I'll, I'll run out to see a Barbara. She's, Stanford, she's really spectacular. Yeah. All right, thanks, Lisa. Sure, appreciate it. All right, it's time now for the amazing Mister Tut. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this, okay? It was a legal drama based on the Saturday evening post stories of Arthur Train. It only lasted on CBS radio a few weeks. That's it, from July 5th through August 23rd, 1948. Will Wright starred as lawyer Ephraim Tut, America's most beloved lawyer, the old gentleman attorney at law with a stovepipe hat and the stogie. John Beale was Bonnie Dune, Tut's legal helper. He also narrated the tales. Roy Rowan was the announcer on this, and very rare program. We're going to tune this in now. Let's go back to July 5th, the premiere episode of 1948 for Advice to a Young Lawyer, starring Will Wright in the first portion of The Amazing Mr. Tut. CBS presents The Amazing Mr. Tut, based on the famous stories by Arthur Train and starring Will Wright. Maud. Yes, Mr. Tut? Take a memorandum, Maud. Head it, uh, Advice to a Young Lawyer. You have that? Yes, sir. Uh, quote. 
Son, if you've got a good case at law, hop on the facts. If you've got a weak case, attack the law. And if you've got no case at all, <laughs> lambaste the district attorney. End of quote. Tonight, CBS brings you the first of a new series about America's most beloved lawyer, Ephraim Tutt. Mr. Tutt, the old gentleman attorney at law with the stovepipe hat and the stogie. So sit back now and see the elderly Yankee lawyer thwart his enemies and bring simple justice for all. Tonight, we hear Mr. Tutt in Advice to a Young Lawyer. Yes, Helen? The district attorney to see you, Judge Babson. Well, send him in, send him in. Don't keep the DA waiting. Yes, sir. Good morning, Judge Babson. How are you this very fine morning? All right. You seem very pleased with yourself, O'Brien. Uh, how would you like to be the next senator from this state, Judge? Well, my wife always says I'd make a fine senator. And so you would. <laughs> and I think in the process of making you a senator, I'll just make myself governor. Well, it is a good morning, isn't it? Tell me about it. No need to whisper, Judge. It's quite legal, quite the Halloran case. Halloran? Halloran. Can't place it. Best open and shut murder case I ever got my teeth into. It won't take a jury more than 15 minutes to send him to the chair. I don't follow you. You've had convictions before. I'm coming to that. Vance Halloran, the man we're going to send up for murder, shot a man in broad daylight. It's a front page case. Headlines all the way. I still don't get it. You've tried cases in the papers before. Yeah, but here's the difference. Halloran, as guilty as they come, can't afford a lawyer. Oh. And as a result, the judge, you are empowered to appoint a lawyer for the defendant. Uh -huh. And uh, how would it be if, in addition to sending up a murderer, we polished off the most distinguished attorney in the state? Mr. Tut. Mr. Tut, indeed. <laughs> All you've got to do is to appoint Tut to defend Halloran. I see. A judge, uh, this case will be my 31st straight conviction. And if we can get old man Tut's scalp in the process, well, you can go tell your wife to order you some senator's clothes. I think you got something there, Governor O'Brien. <laughs> Helen? Yes, sir? Helen, call Mr. Ephraim Tut on the phone. I've got a special job for that fine old gentleman. Yes, sirree, a very special job indeed. Why don't you sit down, Mr. Tut? Barney, my boy, you have been with me how long? Fourteen years. And in those fourteen years, have you not yet learned there are two things you should never do? Yes, I know, Mr. Tut. First, don't smoke stogies. They don't go with your face. <laughs> and don't tell me to sit down when I want to pace back and forth. I want to think. But there's nothing to think about. I just thought I'd save wear and tear on the rugs. Uh, you're a bright lad, Bonnie, and you're right. This is the rawest thing it has ever been my misfortune to encounter. I can just see those two foxes, Babson and O'Brien, selecting me to defend a man who has no defense. Let me see those papers again. Well, there's nothing there. It's broad daylight. This fellow Kelly, the dead man, is coming north, and Halloran, the defendant, is going south. Mm. When they're 20 yards apart, a shot is fired from where Halloran is standing. Mm. Five witnesses see the flash. Halloran runs down an alley, and a cop catches him. The gun, still smoking, is five feet from Halloran. And all Halloran can say is he didn't do it. Well, I didn't talk to him, but that's what the papers say. Uh, and of course they appoint me. O'Brien sees himself governor... Babson wants to be a senator, and they both want to put me in the doghouse. Uh, there's a, 
a lady and a little boy to see you, Mr. Tut. Too busy now, Maud. Well, that's what I told her, Mr. Tut, but, well, she said she'd wait. Huh? Well, she said she'd wait till tomorrow if she had to. Who is she? Uh, Mrs. Vance Halloran. Well, for pity's sake, send her in. Well, yes, Keeps sir. She's the wife of my client waiting outside. You were pacing, Mr. Tut, remember? Thinking. Oh, yes, George. Well, how do you do, Mrs. Halloran? How do you do, sir? Madam, before you say a word, my talents, my office, my good name are at your disposal. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Um, this is Isaac Morris, a friend of Vance's. Everybody calls me Ike. Hello, Ike. Hello. My assistant, Mr. Bonnie Doon. How do you do? How do you do? Huh. Now, uh, why don't you sit down and tell us all about it, Mrs. Halloran? Mr. Tut, Vance is innocent. I know every wife says the same thing, but he is. She's right, Mr. Tut. Vance couldn't even hurt a fly. You're a good friend of Vance's, Ike? Oh, sure. I'm the president of the Halloran Club. What's the Halloran Club? Club Vance organized for us fellas, the oh, newsboys. Yeah. See, Vance drives a truck for the Daily Press. And he treats us square. And, well, Sundays he takes us hiking and playing ball and things like that. Uh -huh. So when we heard Vance was picked up, we never believed he killed Kelly, Mr. Tut. He wouldn't do that. Well... We took up a collection. We heard lawyers cost money. I see. How much did you collect? $7.80. And here it is. Oh, you keep that. No, but... We may need it later. Now, uh, tell me what happened, Mrs. Halloran. Well, you see, Vance works nights driving the truck for the paper, like I told you. Yes. Kelly, well, Kelly drove for the Express, and they were sort of rivals. They ever fight? Well, once or twice, but nothing serious. Vance would never shoot him or anything, Mr. Tut. I just know it. Now, that's all right. That's all right. You want to cry, you just go ahead. That's what a lawyer's office is for. But uh, can you tell me anything else? Anything I can use? That's all I know. And if there's anything I can do, Mr. Tut, anything yes. at all, there's a whole gang of us. Just call on me. Well, I certainly will, Mr. President. I certainly will. I'm glad Vance has such a lot of good friends. Looks to me like he'll need every one of them. My name is Tut, Halloran. Ephraim Tut. I'm your lawyer. Yes, sir, Mr. Tut. Now, tell me exactly what happened. The truth. I didn't shoot Kelly. I swear I didn't. You didn't? No, sir, I swear. It was noon. I was going to meet my wife on my lunch hour. You see, it was our wedding anniversary. We were going to buy something. Huh? All of a sudden, I seen him coming down the street toward me. I hadn't seen him in weeks. There were people all around. Then I heard a shot fired right near my elbow. People started screaming, and I ran. Next thing, the cop had me in the alley. Why'd you run? I don't know. I didn't think. I just got scared and ran. What about the gun? Well, the cop had the gun. It was laying on the ground where the killer threw it. He asked me if it was mine, and I said no. And was it your gun? Well, it, it was and it wasn't. Hmm? You see, Counselor, six months ago we were robbed. See, it'd be in a pretty tough neighborhood. And, well, I got a permit to have the gun and I had it. And, well, someone stole a gun. When? About a month ago. And that was the gun found in the alley? Yes, sir. Did your wife know you had a gun? No, sir. You see, I didn't want to frighten her telling her I had a gun... Well, no, sir, I didn't tell her. And you didn't mention the loss of it later when it was stolen? No, sir, I didn't. Alan, do you have any idea who shot Kelly? No, sir. Oh, now you must. There must be somebody. Was there anybody on the street you knew? No. Do you have any idea who might have stolen your gun, framed you like this? It was a frame-up, wasn't it? Oh, yes, sir, but 
No, I don't have any. I... Unless... Yes? Oh, that's impossible. What's impossible? Well, no, I'd rather not say it. Your life seems to mean very little to you, Mr. Halloran. If you've got something, anything, tell me. Well, I... See, I know this fella doesn't like me, and he hated Kelly, but gee, he wouldn't kill him. Who? What are you talking about? A fella named Jensen. But, well, no, he couldn't even have stole my gun. He was out of town at the time. And, oh. And that's all? That's all. Looks kind of bad, don't it, Counselor? If you didn't shoot Kelly Halloran, you're in the worst jam I ever heard of. Why don't you give me a few weeks in this Halloran case? Why do you have to rush to trial? I once heard you make the boast, Mr. Tut, that all you needed were the facts and your case was all prepared. That's what I want the time for, to get the facts. Well, the facts are as plain as your face and you know it. What about this Jensen suspect? Why don't you send some men out after him? <sighs> really, Tut, a man with your experience. Halloran says Halloran that... says, of course he says, you say anything. This Jensen wasn't even in town when the gun was stolen. O'Brien, this is not justice. This is... Th <laughs> Why this unholy rush? Because the protection of society demands that all murderers be convicted as soon as possible, Mr. Tutt. Not to mention the fact that successful DAs sometimes wind up in the governor's mansion. You do me a grave injustice, Counselor. My interest is, as my oath says, justice for all. O'Brien, a man's life is at stake. An innocent man. Think of what this means to the man's wife. Don't the... appeal to my better nature, Tut. I haven't any. Well, it's always a pleasure to meet a man who appreciates his own good points. What? All right. Go ahead. Prosecute, persecute, rush into court. But there are more ways than one to fight a case, as you may learn, sir, to your surprise. You really think Halloran's innocent, Mr. Tut? Bonnie, I've been an attorney for 40 years. I've seen crooks and criminals, and I have seen innocent men. Vance Halloran is innocent. Okay, he's innocent. And that's where you come in. Me? I want you to go out and find me the man who killed Kelly. What? Find this Jensen, if he exists. Well, well, suppose I can't. I certainly can't by the time the trial opens tomorrow. That's true. Suppose you can't. Yeah. What then? Then, Bonnie, I shall follow my own advice. The advice I always give to young attorneys. And what's that, Mr. Tut? Very simple. If you've got a good case, hop on the facts. Mm -hmm. If you've got a weak case, attack the law. And uh, if you've got no case at all, lambaste the district attorney. <laughs> Bonnie, I shall lambaste the district attorney. There it is. People versus Halloran, part two, room 11. I see it, I see it, Bonnie, and we still haven't got anything on Kelly's murderer. Nothing on this Johnson yet. I only had 24 hours. I know, I know, I'm sorry, Bonnie, I'm jumping. It's all right. Oh, would I love to lambaste O'Brien. Well, go right ahead. Here we are, part two, room 11, People versus Halloran. Good morning, Edgar. Uh, morning to you, Mr. Tut. Oh, that's quite a crowd you got in there. Really? I've been a guard here now 20 years. I can't recall a crowd like this since that axe laying. <laughs> fine, fine. Looks like I'm to go down to defeat before multitudes, Bonnie. Well, let's go. This is a free country. What do you think? Outside and stay outside all you can. Oh, you fought his mustache. Hey, there's Mr. Tut. Hi, Mr. Tut. Well, well, I. What's the matter? Ah, uh, they won't let us in. No. All the kids are here. This is a gang, Mr. Tut, the Hollering Club. Hiya, gang. Hiya, Mr. Tut. Hello, Mr. Tut. Hey, we came to see Vance and you licked the DA. Yeah. He won't let us in. Well, we'll see about that. 
O'Brien. What are you trying to do, Tom? Back the courtroom? Not at all. I think these young gentlemen have as much right in the court as anybody else. Well, Judge Babson doesn't like demonstrations, neither do I, Mr. Tut, so tell your gang to peddle the papers somewhere else. Now, just a moment, O'Brien, just a moment. Bonnie. Yes, Mr. Tut. Have you got those blank subpoenas? Right here. Make out a subpoena for each of these kids. All right, sir. What's the idea, Tut? I intend to call each of them as part of my defense. Oh, no, you don't. Character witnesses, O'Brien. Now, do you have any objections to my witnesses being in the court? Okay, Tut. Very cute. You win. But don't forget, this is only a preliminary. The main bout is inside. William Daly, did a stand? State your name. William Daly. Mr. Daly, we are impaneling a jury in the case of the people versus Halloran. Now, preparatory to your taking your place on this jury, I have one question to ask you. Do you have any moral objection to the supreme penalty as punishment for murder? None, Your Honor. Mr. O'Brien, you may question this potential juror. Uh, what is your business, sir? Uh, haberdasher. Do you know the defendant or any of the relatives of the deceased family? No, sir, I do not. Mm -hmm. The juror is acceptable. I have seen bad juries in panels, Bonnie, but this is the worst. Why, Mr. Tutt? They're experienced jurors. They know all the tricks. Unless... Unless what? Juror number seven. Take a look at him. Uh-huh. I've had my eye on him. Name of T. Jefferson Lee. He sounds and looks like a true lover of democracy. Thomas Jefferson Lee. How are you going to do it? I don't know. But all I need is one sympathetic juror. Any questions or challenges, Mr. Tutt? No, Your Honor. None. None at all. The jury is quite acceptable to me. I'm sure they're all democratically-minded gentlemen. Proceed, Mr. O'Brien. I call to the stand Mary Welch. Mary Welch to the stand. This is going to be brutal. You get out of here, Bonnie, and stay on Jensen's trail. I don't want you to sit here and watch this steamroller go over me. you see then, Miss Welsh? Well, I saw Kelly and I saw the defendants. You mean this man seated next to the tall, gray-haired attorney? Yes, sir, that man. And? Well, I saw the gun go off and I saw Kelly fall to the pavement. Thank you. That is all. Your witness, Mr. Tutt. No questions. You have known the defendant Halloran for how long, Mr. Uh, Twenty years. And the dead man, Kelly? Uh, about the same. Then you would be in an excellent position to state the terms of their relationship. Well, naturally. I knew them longer than I know my own mother-in-law. <laughs> and uh, and uh, what were the terms of their relationship? Would you say the defendant and the dead man were friends, that they got along? Yeah, like cats and dogs are friends. <laughs> the way chickens and foxes get along. And in this case, Mr. Small, who was the fox? Well, I guess Halloran was the... Thank you. Your witness. You are the officer who arrested Halloran? Yes, sir, I am. Where did you arrest him? In the alley where he ran after he shot Kelly. Object. Sustained. You mean, do you not, in the alley where he ran after the shot was fired? It's the same thing. Object. Sustained. The witness is not to state that the defendant shot Kelly. 
But uh, you arrested him, did you not? 20 yards from where the crime had been committed? Correct. No objection to that, Mr. Tutt? Please, officer. Yes, Your Honor. You also found a gun in the alley, officer, did you not? Yes, sir. It was still hot from the shot fired. And whose gun was it? Hollerance. Well, thank you, officer. Your witness, Mr. Tutt. No questions. Your Honor, the people's case against Vance Halloran is complete. The people rest. All right, Mr. Tutt, you may proceed with the defense. Uh, just one moment, Your Honor. I see my associate coming into the courtroom. May I have a moment? Sixty seconds, Mr. Tutt. Well, anything, Bonnie? I don't know. Probably not. Jensen? Yeah. I think he was in town at the time Halloran's gun was stolen. Good. But he's vanished. Not a sign of him since. Nothing? Uh, all I've got is a rumor he may be in Rochester. I've got a tracer up there after him. Great. Sounds great. And how are we doing here? Equally as great. O'Brien has me tied up in knots. Uh, look, sit down. Smile confidently. It may help. I'll try. What are you going to do? I don't know. Yet. Mr. Tutt? Ready, Your Honor. Quite ready, quite ready. With the new information provided by my associate, I am ready to proceed. And, uh, Your Honor, I wish to thank you for the 60-second delay. I call uh, Vance Halloran to the stand. Vance Halloran! You solemnly swear the evidence you're about to give in this case will be the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth to help you, God? I do. State your name. Vance Halloran. You are the defendant, Mr. Halloran? Yes, sir. Tell the jury in one word. Did you kill Mike Kelly? I did not. Did you have any motive to kill him? No. Where were you going when you heard this shot fired beside you? I was meeting my wife. You see, it was our first wedding anniversary. Your Honor, I moved the last part of the answer be stricken. It is irrelevant and immaterial. Strike it out. Now, Your Honor, is it immaterial that it was the defendant's wedding anniversary? Wouldn't a reasonable juror want to know whether the defendant would select that particular day to commit a murder? You're wrong. I ask in fairness that the defendant be allowed to answer my question. I have ruled on the objection. In that case, Your Honor, I accept and offer into evidence this marriage certificate between Vance Halloran and Nora Object! Same objection, Your Honor. Excluded. And I again accept. I cannot quite believe that Your Honor would exclude so vital a bit of evidence. I have ruled on the question, Mr. Tutt. I do not care to have further argument. But I have a right to be heard. Sit down, sir. Sit down. I sit, sir. And rise to make another objection. Your objection is overruled. I shall not give you an opportunity to make speeches out of order for their effect on the jury. I object to Your Honor's... Mr. Tutt, sit down. Or the marshal will sit you down. I yield to force, Your Honor. Bonnie? Yes? Did you watch number seven's face? Yeah. I think I saw a flicker of sympathy. Call your next witness, Mr. Tutt. That's the first portion of The Amazing Mr. Tut from July 5th, 1948, with advice to a young lawyer. Let's take a break. Then it's more here on Hollywood 360. Are you a fan of classic radio? Shows like Abbott and Costello. What's the guy's name on first base? No, what is on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? One base at a time. Well, don't change the... Gunsmoke. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Inner Sanctum. This is your host to welcome you in through the squeaking door. Fibber McGee and Molly. What day is this? Oh, no, let me see. 
This theory is our 15th wedding anniversary. And many more. As a thank you for listening to this show, we want to give you 10 of the best classic radio shows of all time absolutely free. Just log on to Hollywood360radio.com to get them today. You'll receive complete episodes of Sam Spade, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Suspense, Abbott and Costello, Inner Sanctum, X-1, Gunsmoke, Our Miss Brooks, and Lights Out. Just log on to Hollywood360radio.com and receive your 10 free classic radio shows today. That's Hollywood360radio.com. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. All right, let's get back now to the amazing Mr. Tut. Defendant? Yes, sir. Tell us, Mrs. Halloran, the date on which you were married to the defendant. Object. Sustain. Does your honor deny to this woman the right to show that she is legally wedded to this defendant? It is not an issue in this case. Motion denied. Your honor, I have a question to ask. Is this a court of law in the United States or in Nazi Germany? Enough of that, Mr. Tut, unless you wish to be held in contempt of court. I have no desire to be held in contempt. But I must protect my client no matter what course your honor sees fit to pursue. And I must again accept your honor's ruling and to your honor's threats. Proceed, Mr. Tut. I was number seven then, Bonnie. Smiled at you, frowned at the judge. Fine, fine. I uh, have no further questions this time. Any cross-examination, Mr. O'Brien? It isn't necessary, your honor. Object. The answer to that question is either yes or no, and the district attorney knows it, your honor. Quite right. Any cross-examination, Mr. O'Brien? No, Your Honor, none. Go to the jury, then, and sum up, gentlemen. Mr. Tut. Gentlemen of the jury, the criminal code was enacted to ensure every defendant of a fair and impartial trial, a right asserted by the signers of the Declaration of Independence, written by Thomas Jefferson Lee... <coughs> Thomas Jefferson of Virginia, a right asserted... I object, Your Honor. This harangue has nothing to do with the case. Confine your remarks to the evidence, Counselor. Does Your Honor mean to suggest that I may not comment upon constitutional guarantees under which this man and every other defendant must be legally tried? I said to confine yourself to the evidence. Surely I have the right to explain the rights for which our forefathers, mine, yours, the jurors, fought and died. I will take care of all that, Mr. Tutt. I conceive it my duty to take care of it myself. Proceed, Counselor. How are we doing? Seven's very interested. So is six and the foreman. Good. Gentlemen of the jury, don't forget, you are the sole judges of the evidence. While his honor may comment on the law, even he cannot substitute himself for you in judging what is the truth and what are obvious frauds perpetrated by the district attorney. I object! And I insist object. that... Object! Stop! I will permit no more of this. Mr. Touch, you've been talking generalities long enough. Now get down to business or rest your case! If the court will not allow me to sum up my case... You may sum up your case all you like, but sum it up within bounds. I cannot tell what Your Honor considers proper bounds. I said within bounds. You know very well what In I mean. In view of Your Honor's attitude against me, I against did. my client, I refuse to sum up the case. Let the chips fall where they may. But one thing I will do, if Your Honor will let me talk... Proceed. Proceed. I ask that when Your Honor sums up and instructs this jury, 
that he remembers in the language of the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Sit down, sir. Sit down. The jury will disregard this stump speech of Mr. Tut. I accuse this court of bias and prejudice and of railroading my client to the electric chair. Sit down, sir, or I shall find you in contempt of court. As Thomas Jefferson said, you may fire when ready, Gridley. I find you in contempt of court and hereby sentence you to payment of $500. Make it a 1000 Your Honor, the signer of the Declaration of Independence. $1,000! And the founding fathers would be $1,500! The defense rests. Now is the time, Bonnie. No? Yes, the jury's been out almost an hour. That means that some of what I said took effect. So now. Okay. Ike? Yes, sir? You know what to do. Oh, yes, sir. Do we do it now? Now, Ike. Now, with everything you've got. This is the street, Ike. We're right under the jury room. You still up there arguing, Mr. Barney? Yep, they're still at it. Let her go. Okay. Gentlemen of the jury, have you reached a verdict? Uh, well, uh, no, Your Honor, we have not. Quiet, please, quiet! You are telling this court that you have not reached a verdict? That's right, Your Honor. We are divided and split. Congratulations, Mr. Tut. Look at number seven, Bonnie. There's our hung jury. He's winking at me. (laughs) Thomas Jefferson Lee. Mr. Tut, may I add my congratulations? Well, Edgar, when a guard at Special Sessions Criminal Divisions congratulates you, you have really arrived. Thank you, Edgar. Oh, no, no, sir. Thank you. Oh, it was the greatest show I've ever seen, and I've been guarding these portals now 20 years. Oh, you had Babson spluttering, and O'Brien is fit to be tied. <laughs> I, I had to do it, Edgar. I had to. And that newsy hollering that the jury found him guilty while they were still out. Ah, if I'd have been on that jury, I'd have sure found him innocent. Mm -hmm. Now, I wonder who put that newsy up to that, Mr. Tut. Oh, one of those acts of God, I guess you'd say, Edgar. (laughs) But uh, I'll tell you a secret if you won't tell a soul. I'm as silent as the rocket, Gibraltar. Although I'm absolutely convinced Vance Halloran is innocent, I haven't got proof of it. And I don't think I'm going to sleep so well tonight. Hello. Uh, Mr. Tut, did I wake you? Who is this? Oh, Bonnie? Yeah. No, no, you didn't wake me. I can't sleep any... What time is it? A little after two. What are you doing up this hour? I'm in Rochester, finding you a night's sleep. Jensen? Jensen. My tracer up here got wind of something, so right after the trial, I flew up. And? Just as Halloran said. Jensen hated Kelly, and knowing of the feud between Kelly and Halloran, Jensen stole Halloran's gun and shot Kelly. He did. Exactly as we figured. He shot Kelly in broad daylight, standing next to Halloran. In the crowd and confusion, he got away again. Well... Luckily for us, he wasn't content with mere murder. He tried to pull a bank job here in Rochester and got shot in the process. What I've just told you was his his deathbed confession. Bonnie, my lad, that is an evening's work. Thanks. Can you sleep now? Indeed I can. Um, that 1500 isn't bothering you, is it? Oh, you mean the fine for contempt of court? Yeah. 
No. No, I assure you, the look on O'Brien's face and the astonishment in Babson's eyes when the jury came in was worth every penny of it. Matter of fact, my dear Bonnie, I shall sleep the sleep of the very good and the very innocent and dream of the shining countenance of a juror named T. Jefferson Lee. You have just heard the first broadcast in the new series, The Amazing Mr. Tut, starring Will Wright in the title role, with John Beale in the role of Bonnie. Be sure to listen every week at this same time for further tales about Mr. Tut. The script was written by Arnold Pearl, with special music composed by Marlon Skiles and conducted by Lud Gluskin. The Amazing Mr. Tut was produced and directed by Tony Leader. Will Wright will soon be seen in the RKO production, The Twisted Road. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's The Amazing Mr. Tut, the premier episode in the series from July 5th, 1948, Advice to a Young Lawyer, starring Will Wright, also in the cast, John Beals, is heard on CBS. Hope you enjoyed that. A little different, a little rare program. Never played one before. Hope you enjoyed it. All right, before we tune into Fibber, McGee, and Molly, I want to remind all of our listeners about a fantastic product called Epizin. If you have any kind of skin problems like eczema or shingles it helps with shingles if you have dry skin what are some of the other things that help um, if you have wounds or scarring that's a that's a big one um acne a bug bite what about giant dimples will it help that absolutely yeah. this is you should oh, be using it then i am using it for my dimples okay. they're getting even deeper right um Apizin is an over-the-counter product that provides pharmaceutical grade relief for any skin ailment, including all of those that you mentioned, itchy, dry skin, and irritated skin. Sunburn, too. Sunburn. Diaper rash. It's, uh, it's all natural, so it's fine for babies with diaper rash. And the reason why this product is so great is because we are zinc deficient. Our skin is zinc deficient. And this has zinc in it, and it's fantastic for skin. And I, I tell you, I use it myself. Lisa uses it. Her husband uses it. Mike uses it. But here's the thing. If it does not work for you, it doesn't it doesn't cost you a penny. If it doesn't work for you, you can return it for a full refund. Plus there's a special radio offer, $10 off when you go to their website or call their toll-free number when you mention radio plus free shipping. So it's like We've removed all of the risk. So we've had some in-depth conversations with Maureen Kelly. She's a licensed esthetician, and she has explained to us all the benefits of this product and why this truly works across the board for so many things and is all natural. And we are sold on it, and we hope that you'll give it a try at no risk whatsoever. Right. The number to call is 844-ZINC the number four, and then us. So 844-ZINC-FOR-US, or you can go to their website, which is epizin.com, and I'll spell that for you, E-P-I-Z-Y-N. Once again, E-P-I-Z-Y-N.com, epizin.com. Once again, special radio offer. You get $10 off by mentioning radio or putting the code in radio on the website, plus free shipping and a money-back guarantee. So do check out Epizen. You will love it. It's time now for Fibber, McGee, and Molly. Let's go back to November 28th, 1939. This is called The Finance Company, starring Jim and Marion Jordan, part one of Fibber, McGee, and Molly. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber, McGee, and Molly. 
makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Marion and Jim Jordan as Fibber McGee and Molly with Jimmy Shields, Bill Thompson, and Billy Mills Orchestra. And now to 79 Wistful Vista, where the McGees are working out the Christmas budget and are slightly aghast at their mounting household expenses. Let's look in at the lovebirds in their nest and hear them peep as they open their little bills. To say nothing of their big bills. <laughs> Folks, Fibber McGee and Molly. Heavenly days, McGee. Just look at all these bills. Oh, quit waving them at me. I know what they are. The same old stuff every month. Well, I'm glad you realize it. Well. There's the $3 to pay on the refrigerator. I know, I know, I know. And the $2 on the encyclopedia. That's right. Six bucks on the piano. Yeah. Four fifty on the radio. Yeah. Two fifty on the vacuum cleaner. No. Oh. Oh, we got that paid up? No, they came and got it this morning. That's good. It was getting too noisy anyway. Well, now look, McGee. Our budget won't stretch over all the bills this month. We gotta skip somebody. Okay. How do we stand on the car payments? Well, let me see now. We refinanced it in 1934. <laughs> then we refinanced it again in 1936. And in uh, 1937, we refinanced it. <laughs> that car's been refinanced so many times, it shrugs its fender every time it passes a bank. <laughs> Come in. Hello there, kids! Oh. How you fix for Christmas trimmings? Holly wreaths, poinsettias, mistletoe? No, thank you, Mr. Oldtimer. I guess not just now. <laughs> I don't go for that mistletoe business, Oldtimer. There's too many guys that stand under and not enough gals that understand. <laughs> That's pretty good, Johnny. But that ain't the way I heard it. <laughs> The way I hear it, one fellow says to t'other feller, See, says, What do you think of that newfangled automobile Admiral Byrd's taking to the South Pole? Well, says t'other feller, All I gotta say is, you sure have to go a long ways nowadays to find a parking space. <laughs> Sorry you don't need any Christmas stuff, kids. Having a special today on holly berries. Holly berries? Yep. I call them the grapes of wreath. <laughs> grapes of wreath. Why, that old fuddy-duddy. I'll bet if they ever straighten out his wrinkles, he'd be eight feet high. Say, uh, what did you do with last month's receipt from the finance company, dearie? Uh, I don't know. I thought you paid it. Why, I thought you paid it. You paid the month before, didn't you? No. Didn't you? Why, no, I... Th Oh, my goodness, McGee, we're three months behind in the car payments. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Maybe I better run down to the finance company and explain everything. Oh, well, I wouldn't worry too much about it, dearie. Why not? After all these years, don't you think they have any sentiment at all? Go on. That finance company ain't got any more heart than a stalk of nightclub celery. <laughs> What do they care if we've been paying them our good dough for seven years? Well, maybe you're right. Say, you don't think they take the car away from us, do you? Oh, no. Oh, no. Perish the thought. Oh. No quicker than a Great Dane would repossess a pork chop. <laughs> Why, those guys would steal... Come in. Ah, oh, hello there, folks. 
Just thought I'd stop in and warn you. <laughs> warn us against what, Mr. Gildersleeve? Well, I wanted to tell you a man came to my door and inquired where you live. Oh. Yes, he said he was from the finance company. Oh. Oh. From the finance company, eh? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> You're not having any trouble, I hope. <laughs> Juan Gildersleeve, you'd love it if we had trouble. If we was caught in an avalanche, you'd stop and throw snowballs at us. Oh, come, come, McGee. Uh, I was merely doing you a favor. Oh, yeah, every time you do me a favor, it costs me dough. What do you say we get back on the old you-hate-me-I-hate-you basis? Well, uh, it's quite all right with me, McGee. And now that we've dug up the hatchet again... What was the idea of taking the Sunday paper off my porch last Sunday morning? Who took what paper off whose porch? You did, McGee. Why, now, careful there, Mr. Gildersleeve. You're practically accusing me husband of petty larceny. I certainly am. Anybody that would sneak up on my porch like a thief in the night... It wasn't night. It was broad daylight. <laughs> well, what of it? Gildersleeve's been swiping our evening paper, ain't he? Stop right there, McGee. I'm I'll have you know I can afford to subscribe to my own papers. I don't have to stoop to take yours. I'll say you don't. You can just reach up on the porch behind the lilac bush. <laughs> and furthermore, Gildersleeve, if I have any more trouble with you, you know what I'll do? I'll clunk you so hard your head will ring like the Westminster chimes on... on what day do they ring? The Easter morning. Is that so? Yes, that's so. I'll tie your limp little spine into eight fancy knots and present you to the Boy Scouts. What truth? You keep out of this, please, Molly So you'll tie my spine into knots, will you, Gildersleeve? You know what I think of you? I have a rough idea If you ever had an idea, it would have to be rough to make its way alone in the world You don't say I do say Why, you... All right, all right, you vocal ruffians Go to your corners and gargle your throats <laughs> Would you mind telling me, Mr. Gildersleeve, what you told the man from the finance company? Well... I told him I didn't know where you lived. You do, too. I told him I thought it was down the next block. I'm sorry now. I didn't bring him over here myself. A lot of satisfaction you'd have got out of that, Gildersleeve. I know the law. I know my rights. He can't do anything to me. How do you know so much about it? Who, me? Why, shucks, Gildersleeve. I made a hobby of legal matters ever since I was a kid. Why, I wouldn't even get out of my crib until my nurse brung in a habeas corpus. <laughs> And when I was just in knee pants, I knew enough law to throw the whole bar association for a loop. Loophole McGee, I was known as in them days. Oh, my. Loophole McGee, the lustiest, loudest legal light that ever leaked like a leopard on a lot of loose living lawbreakers, lashing them in the Latin language and leading them like lightning to Leavenworth, love for my lively laughter and lofty legal ledger domain, and the long lost, the leader of liberty legislation from the lovely lanes where the lop wings leave to the, oh, you going Gildersleeve. <laughs> Now, look, McGee, you've got to get in touch with the finance company and explain the matter before they take the car away from us. Don't worry. I know my rights, Molly. They can't take that car until they serve us with a writ of detachment. A writ of attachment, isn't it? Detachment. They want to detach us from the car, don't they? Well, I guess that's well, right. Sure, it's compulsory. I'll answer it, Molly. No, don't, McGee. Maybe huh? that's the man from the finance company. Take a peek out the window. Okay. Yep. That's him, all right. I remember him from 1936. <laughs> Time he got nasty with me for absent-mindedly making the check out to the Wistful Vista Finagling Company. 
Say, why don't we ask him in, McGee, and explain the circumstances? Oh, no, no, no. The minute we open the door, he can slap a, slap a legal paper on us. And then we lose the car. Well, how about if he breaks the door in? Is that legal? Search me. Let me think it over a minute. Let's see now. Case of Goonie versus New Hampshire statute, 19 not plain of charge. Issued a writ of muggle nugsus. Malice of forethought. Statute decision out here in Nebraska. Yep, it's legal. Move that table in front of the door, Molly. Oh, Come on. Be. Hurry up. Lift that end up there. Oh, right. from the... Never knew this there. was that heavy. There. Say, what huh? if he hears this, McGee? We're making a lot of noise for people who aren't at home. Maybe he'll think we got mice. <laughs> oh, you mean when the McGees are away, the mice will play football? <laughs> Is the back door closed, Molly? Yes, it is, dearie. Let's see now. I wonder how else he could get in. Down the chimney. Not a chance. A bill collector hates to do anything that even suggests Santa Claus. <laughs> Has he gone away, Molly? Yes, he's left, dearie. Uh-oh. But he'll probably be back. Well, by that time, we'll... Oh, oh, oh he's back dear. already. Hey, Molly, look. He slipped into a disguise. Dressed up like a woman. <laughs> wonder who he thinks he's fooling. You, for one. That's Mrs. Uppington. Uh-uh. <laughs> oh, well, let's move this barricade just to crack, Molly, so she can slip in quick. I'm afraid you're underestimating your proportions, dearie. <laughs> oh, how do you do, Mrs. Uppington? Well, how do you do, Mrs. McGee? And Mr. McGee? Hi, Uppy. One side there, girls, while I move this table back. Oh, my goodness, what is going on here? Oh, well, we're just uh, rearranging the furniture, Uppy. <laughs> how do you think that table looks against the front door there? <laughs> Well, I, uh, it's uh, rather unusual, isn't it? Yeah, well, uh, we thought so. <laughs> yes, how, uh, how does one, uh, well, I mean about going in and out and all that sort of thing. <laughs> oh, well, this, this prevents all that old stuff like that there, Uppy. Oh. After all, there ain't anything dignified about people tearing in and out of your front door all the time. <laughs> Certainly not. So you pile furniture against the door, which makes your home more exclusive, yes. you see? Oh, Yes, yes, I see. <laughs> uh, tell me, is this a new theory of interior decoration? Why, Mrs. Uppington, you mean you haven't heard? Why, shucks, it's the last word with the smart set in Peoria, Uppy. Sure. And they ought to know, practically every house there has got furniture in it. My, how very interesting. Well, perhaps I'll stop in again on my way home for my director's meeting and see how your house looks. Oh, are you a director of something, Mrs. Uppington? Oh, yes, my dear. In fact, I am one of the biggest stockholders in one of our largest companies downtown. Oh, is that so? Mm. You're really a big woman in this town. <laughs> now, which one, Uppy? Why, the Wistful Vista Finance Company. Oh, yes, it's oh. quite... The... Oh, Mr. McGee, <laughs> you just put the wrong end of your cigar in your mouth. Yes, I know. Uh, well, uh, I must be going now. Oh, oh. oh mercy. Oh, dear. Oh, that horrible table, I forgot. <laughs> you better oh. sneak out the back way, Uppy. The back way? Yeah. Well, I know. Well, really, well, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first portion of Fibber, McGee, and Molly from November 28, 1949, Dodging the Finance Company. We'll get back to that on our next show. But first, let's take a break. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. All right, Lisa, on our next show, we're going to tune in to the conclusion of Fibber, McGee, and Molly from 1939. Then it's The Whistler, a good mystery from 1948. Lisa, Mike, and I will be back on our next show. Make sure you're with us. <laughs> 